And so as we continue our message series this morning in the book of Acts, Unstoppable, which is the story of God's unstoppable power in building his church. Yes, it's the story of the apostles. Yes, it's the story of the church. But ultimately, it is the story of God and his unstoppable power. We are in chapter 9 this morning. We are creeping through the book of Acts because it's just rich. And we see in chapter 9 the infamous calling of one of the most influential apostles in history, the apostle Paul, or Saul as he's called uh, at this point in the scriptures. And so this morning what I want us to do is we're going to look, uh, look at what it means to be called out by Christ. I guess put on blast by Jesus, right? So Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read. It's a good bit of reading today. Uh, Acts chapter 9, and I'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 31. And it says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues, at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. <laughs> Saul is serious. He's going, he wants the census records. He wants to know everybody's address. Where are the Christians at? I'm going to go drag them out. And so now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, I bet, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might again, uh, he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Saul's life. Your calling on his life. And Lord, that you have recorded this for us this morning. To learn what it is to be called in Jesus Christ. To be able to identify your voice in our lives as you call us to yourself. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the title of the message this morning is Called Out. And so a little context, uh, just before chapter 9 here, um, in chapter 7, we saw Stephen, right, gave his big sermon, and then he was murdered. And it says that Saul stood by, and it says he approved of the murder. He approved of what was happening. In chapter 8, we see Philip going out taking the message of the gospel to the Samaritans, right? We see him come in contact with the Ethiopian um, in the last chapter. So the church is growing. We see the church from just a handful of fishermen. It's starting to grow, and it continued to grow because you and I are here today. But in chapter 8, we see that Saul, and chapter 9 here, is not so nice guy, and he's torturing and throwing Christians into prison until he meets Jesus. We see this dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. Jesus calls him out. And so today, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, where you come from, Jesus is calling to you. And so what does that look like? Well, first of all, it means that in Christ, you are called out of your past. It says here in verse 5 and 6, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. <laughs> but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. <clears throat> God's called me out of a past as well. Saul is such a great example. This is such a beautiful example of the grace of God. Saul was not a nice guy, right? 
He's approving of Stephen's execution. It says that he's uh, involved in approving these murders. He's ravaging the church, it says. He's dragging people out of their homes who claim to be Christians. And so we see in this passage, everybody's reacting to him like, I know him. I know what he's been about. I know his reputation. And yet, Jesus calls him. Jesus speaks to Saul. He seeks out Saul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, some of the most powerful words to me. It says, this is Saul, Paul at this point, writing this. He says, The saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, when I look at my life, I'm the worst worst sinner. And yet Jesus reached out to me. Jesus saved me. Why? So that he could show off through my life. That people could look at me and say, if he can do it for him, if he can change his life, he can certainly change my life. It's hard for us as humans to wrap our minds around this grace, this mercy of God, because we live in a world that is always seeking out who to place blame on. Right? We have a culture that if you say or do something wrong, you are canceled. Your whole existence try to wipe you out. And that is fueled by my own fear. That's fueled by our own fear of being found out. Yeah, let's put it on them, not me. Keep it off of me. If I can blame someone else, then I don't have to deal with my own guilt. Let me put a face on it. Let me put it on another group of people. Because I don't know how to deal with my own guilt. The truth is we all wrestle with guilt and shame. We all have a past, right? We all have inner demons. I am studying, uh, trying to get this degree in marriage and family therapy and counseling. And so it's interesting as I'm reading these books and exploring um, all of this and the, the human condition in so many ways. And it's interesting that you find that in depression, you find that in struggles in relationships and addiction, abuse, what we're really struggling with is my own guilt and shame, my own brokenness. I'm running from it. I'm reacting to it. I'm affected by it. You may say, well, I've never been like Paul. I like Saul. I never, you know, killing Christians or anything like that. But listen, we all have the same condition. We are all broken. We're all lost. I've heard somebody recently say, yeah, I wish I had a better testimony. I grew up kind of in a good home, you know, a good person with good people. I don't have this like I was addicted to drugs and I was this bad person. Listen, we are all broken. We are all in the same place. We all have the same guilt, the same shame. Now, you may have been through, your road may be a very broken road in this life, but the reality is 
Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <clears throat> what we need to understand is in God's eyes, there's not levels of sinners. There's not levels of us, our brokenness. There is either we have God, we have Christ as Lord of our lives, or we are doing this on our own. And that is rebellion. That is idolatry. I don't need you, God. We are all apart from Christ in that condition. He says in Romans 3 and 10 and 11, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. Now, this is hard to admit. It's hard for our culture to admit that I'm, yeah, I've failed. I have done the wrong things. I have, I have made mistakes. But even more, it's hard to say I've been living in rebellion to God. A sinner, I had a, a person who's not a believer in one of our small groups one time, and I was teaching through Scripture, and she said, excuse me, can I, I need to interrupt you for a second. I really have a problem with you keep using the word sin. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> she was Jewish. I said, you guys invented that. So, <laughs> and we're all sinners. We're all in the same condition. We're all broken. Specific sins in our lives are often a result of the same thing, which is idolatry. It's me over God. And so it, it manifests itself in different ways, and we get ourselves in messes. Some of you have been in messes. The reason I get so emotional, especially with that First Timothy uh, verse, is that's like my life verse because I've been in some messes. It's because I was doing life on my own. So I, I know what it is to be guilty. I know what it is to have shame and regret. But it's even harder for our culture and for us as humans to accept that I can't pay for my own sin, that I can't make my life right. Especially in New York City, we work hard, we're hustling, we get it done. I'll take care of it myself. That's offensive that you say, I, I, I can't do it, I have to trust Christ. That's what he calls us to. Some would say, well, Christianity, that's great, but that's, that's for like people in prison or poor people or whatever, you know. Christianity is for every one of us. Jesus is for every one of us. We're all lost without him. But it must be received. We must come to the end of ourselves. The reason you hear a lot about these uh, confessions of conversions in prison and people in such difficult situations is because you finally come to the end of them themselves. It's obvious. I can't do this. But what happens when we try to work out our salvation, our peace on our own, and we spend our lives living in reaction to our mistakes, to our guilt, this sense of not really living up. So I, I'm propelled, I'm living, trying to prove myself. I always say people that come to New York City are either running, running from something or running for something. The answer is Jesus. He calls us out of our brokenness. He meets us right where we are. The gift of God in Christ Jesus is that by his sacrifice on the cross, you are made a new creation if you will just put your faith in him. Your sin is removed, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. <clears throat> Praise God. And at the end of that um, 
where that passage where Paul says he's the chief of sinners, but he's been forgiven, shown mercy. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. He's like, he's welling up because he knows his life. He remembers who he was before Jesus grabbed hold of him. We all have a past, but in Jesus, we are free from condemnation. Jesus took it all. Listen, your past does not have to define your future because of Jesus. Not because you can work harder, not because you can make different choices, but because Christ grabs hold of you and gives you a new life. This is true with salvation, but it's also true in our everyday lives as Christians, as believers. Every season, every day, He is calling me out of yesterday. Jesus is calling you out of yesterday, whether it's shame and guilt or even it may be success. He's calling every one of us out of relying on ourselves, depending on our own goodness, our own success, our own failure. There is healing. There is comfort. Restoration in Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot fall too far from Jesus. There's none. And his mercy is new every morning. Satan will try to condemn you for your failures. He will try to keep you, Christian, Satan will try to keep you from coming boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need. And Jesus is calling us, come, cast all your cares on me. Your flesh and Satan will tell you, you're not good enough. But you did that too many times. You've made that mistake one too many times. No, Jesus ain't come. Come. Cast it on me. Because I have called you out of your past. But also, number two, in Christ we are called to a future. He says there, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus has big plans for Saul. Big plans. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. This is, impor- this, is, this is important. I told you Saul is also Paul. His name is Saul up until um, chapter 13. And this was, this was um, very typical in that day for, for people to be called by um, two different versions of a name. But in verse uh, 9 of chapter 13, we see, But Saul, who was also called Paul, asked for the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit. So we see this is the same Paul who's written all these books of the Bible. Saul had been Mr. Super Hebrew at some time, remember? He was was respected. He was infamous in the Jewish community. He was defending and preserving the Jewish religion and the community there. But God had a different plan for him. As good as that may have sounded, as noble as that may have sounded, Jesus had a different plan. Christ had chosen Paul to take the very message he was trying to destroy to the world, particularly to the Gentiles. And then Paul would become one of the most influential apostles. Like I said, 13 New Testament books are attributed to him. He went from hunting down Christians to giving his life to reach the world for the sake of Christ. Persecuted, jailed himself. In Philippians chapter 3, he said, 
Paul said that everything in his life, everything was garbage. He saw his past successes, his past failures, his past sin, everything good and bad. He saw it as garbage in comparison to knowing the call of Jesus for his life. See, he had put the call of Jesus at the center of his life and his passion. Listen, Jesus has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, real meaning for your life. And you are not disqualified from it for whatever, wherever you've been through, whatever you've done. Christ will take it. He has a future for you. There's an interesting story in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18 says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. It was broken. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best for him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, he said, can I not do with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Can the Lord not do that with your life? Exactly what he's done at the potter's house. He will make a vessel, a life that brings glory to him and good to you. Even though we've earned judgment, even though we've earned disgrace in the eyes of God, he has expunged our records forever. And he has set you and wants to set you apart for his purposes in your life. And so when I come to Jesus and I'm his disciple, I'm his child, I not only trust him for my salvation, but I trust him for today and for tomorrow. I know he is doing a thing in me. Christian, he is doing a thing in you right now. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to build that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. <clears throat> but presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation <clears throat> is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra door there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace he intends to come and live in himself. Listen, in Christ, your life is not left to chance. He has a plan for you. He is doing a thing in you. Your circumstances are not an accident. Your future is not limited to where you've been. It's not limited to your ability to understand or your intellect. It's only limited by the degree you are willing to submit to Christ and surrender to him. And so that brings us to number three, and that is in Christ, you are called to suffering. Oh, man. Could have left that one out. It's interesting. Right at the beginning here, he calls Saul and he goes, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then it says in 23 and 24, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. 
<clears throat> but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Saul had problems right from the beginning. He had struggles right from the beginning. The promise to Saul was that he was going to be persecuted for preaching Jesus. <clears throat> and that is certainly the case with every Christian that is bold with the message of Christ. Living for him will oftentimes place you moving in the direct opposite way of the world around you and the people around you. Definitely the culture around you. It's a guarantee. That's what Jesus said. They will hate you. And if that's not the case for you this morning, then the question is, you have to ask yourself is why? Because Jesus said, you will suffer. You will be persecuted for my sake. So Saul let him know this from the spirit from the start. That's important for us as the church, I think. Oftentimes we want to sugarcoat what it is to, to follow Jesus. You know, we want to do everything that we can to, to let the world know, hey, he's cool, he's whatever, he's with you, he understands you, he whatever, all the benefits. But Jesus warned him from the very beginning It will be suffering at times. You know, we have this deconstruction movement. A lot of people are deconstructing their faith. Jesus warned about that in the parable of the sower and the seeds. If, they, if we don't come by the way of the cross, if we don't come by the way of repenting of our sin and recognizing, I can't do this. I'm broken. I need Jesus. And following him, no matter what the cost, then we'll reason our way out of it. We'll think, this, this is not what I wanted. I'm not getting everything I was promised. But the call to suffer in Jesus is good news. It's good news for your daily struggles and mine because we live in a broken world. Just think about Saul as he laid in prison. Yes, <clears throat> Ananias, his message to him is you are going to suffer for <clears throat> proclaiming Jesus, preaching Jesus to the Gentiles and all those things. But think about Saul laying in prison, bleeding. Locked up. I'm, I'm certain there were moments of, what is happening? I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Let's look at the Psalms. It's full of honest, earnest prayers. And so for you and I, as we walk through this fallen world, it's a daily thing. We are going to suffer, but it's a different suffering now for you and I. All of it. And we're called to embrace it. We're called to embrace it as part of and not separate from the calling of God, of Christ in your life. <clears throat> and this is peculiar to the Christian life because the rest of the world is trying to avoid suffering, right? Because they don't see any purpose in it. There are some religions where the goal is to remove desire, right? So then in order to remove suffering. But in Christ, we replace our desires for his desires. And sometimes his desire is that you grow and that you release your grip on the things of this world and hold on to him more closely. Eric Ortland, the professor of Hebrew and Old Testament in London, writes this Sometimes God allows pain and loss that have nothing to do with sin in our lives and are not meant to teach us anything. Rather, our loss and bewilderment become an avenue by which God gives himself to us more than he ever could when we were at ease. 
There are times in your suffering and in mine that Jesus is trying to pull you closer. We get obsessed with avoiding it and getting through it, but he said, in the midst of it, come, come to me. So we're called to suffering, to become more and more like Jesus. And listen, that's a warning, church. It's an encouragement as well, but the more and more you live for Christ, the more and more you set his word and his calling at the center of your life and are obedient to that, the more you'll be out of step with the world around you. That doesn't mean be obnoxious. That means live according to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you live with hope. And that, calls, that, that takes us to the last point, which is in Christ, you're called to persevere. You and I are called to perseverance. It says there in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul got stronger and stronger, even though he faced persecution, even though he faced suffering. And it says that he was <clears throat> confounding the Jews because he was proving that Jesus was the Christ. Listen, part of proving that Jesus is who he said he is in your life and in my life is walking through suffering in my life alongside the, the lost people, the unbelieving neighbors and friends and family members that I have with faith and peace that goes beyond my circumstances because you're not promised to miss out on suffering. You and I, as we walk through suffering, it's an opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate himself to the world around us. So how do we persevere? We hold on to the promises of God. Our, our suffering comes with a promise of a purpose. Romans chapter five, three through five says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, character, hope. It does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Listen, the key is not to eliminate suffering, but it's in how we respond to suffering. It's embracing Christ even more. It says, James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Promises there of joy, steadfastness. Our suffering is producing if we will let it. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He offers us peace. So in the midst of your struggle, not only in your struggle, but in your daily walk, your daily discipline, pursue Christ. When you know that Jesus has called you out of your past, your brokenness, your selfishness, your self-centeredness, your lostness, and he has <clears throat> set you on the path for his purposes, he's given you a future, you want to know him more. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus. He's saying, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He goes on down in verse 3. <clears throat> Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
Listen, intentionally, are you making space in your life? And I know I come to this all the time. But if we don't make space in our life to intentionally hear the Holy Spirit, we will fill up our days. We will fill up our ears, our minds, our time with the things of this world. Set aside intentional time to sit, to mull over Scripture, to pray, to seek out God's promises. I remember there was a time in my life where I was struggling so so mightily hard in my faith and I got angry at God. I was literally <clears throat> in Miami in our backyard. We were a young couple. Things were not going well and I just we just kind of given our lives to the Lord to have control and things weren't going like I th thought they should go and I was upset. I was angry. And I remember the Holy Spirit drew me to the Word. I went in, opened my Bible almost aggravatedly, opened it to Job and started reading. Because I'm like, I'm with you, Job. This isn't fair. <clears throat> By the time I got to the end, I read the whole book of Job. I was on my knees. And God calls to Job and says, who are you? Who are you to question me? You have no idea what's going on in your life right now. What are you mad about? A check bounce that you didn't have enough money in the bank for? You think that I've come here to just fix all? No, I want you and I want you to have me first and foremost. And I need you to trust that I am working in your life. I am moving and it, it has something, to, it looks like something that you didn't plan on. That's good news today. We have hope in Jesus. And so we look to him. Find your hope in Christ this morning. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this, the Danish theologian and philosopher. He defined hope this way. Hope is a passion for what is possible. Hmm. A passion for what is possible. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is what we know. When Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So our hope is not determined by what is possible in this world. Our hope is determined by what is possible with God in my life. And we know that all things are possible. And so we have hope that God is working. Whether he chooses to work the way we think he should work or not, we persevere because we keep our eyes on him. I had a friend here in the city, and he was broken. He came from a really difficult background. And he was in therapy, a couple different kinds of therapy during the week. And one of the therapies was group therapy for uh, those that have experienced what he had experienced. And after he came to Christ, there came a time where he came to me and he said, you know, I, I'm, I stopped going to that group therapy class. And now, this is not, I'm not against therapy. I'm studying to do that. I'm, I'm for it. But it was interesting the way that this particular group was meeting and talking. This, was his, this is what he said. He goes, I just didn't find any hope there. It's like everybody, we were under this cloud of darkness and there was no hope. And, and I kept thinking to myself, after we shared our brokenness and our leaning on each other, but there is hope. What about the hope for the future? What about the fact that I don't have to be defined what is, by what has happened behind me and that I can, I can have hope in Jesus Christ? Listen, hope fuels our perseverance. 
And this is not wimpy stuff. Listen, this is, this is holding on to Jesus because it's easier to say this than it is to <clears throat> walk in it all the times. We have to begin, listen, Christian, we have to see our circumstances in our lives. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're struggling with, whatever season you're in, whatever joy or pain that you are in right now, can you see it as God working in your life? Can you see it as him working for your good, for his glory? Can you see it as a gift? And you may say, no, this is no, because this has to do with someone else. Well, that's not out of God's hands in your life. Can you see? Can you imagine this morning that God could work in that situation for your good, drawing you to himself? Because he can stop whatever he chooses to stop. Can you see it as a gift? What are you struggling with today? And you see Christ in it. There's a song by Rita Springer that's new, and the words go, When the brook dries up, amen, from an empty cup. Amen, when there's not enough. God, hear me say it again, amen. From the wilderness, amen, from the lion's den, amen, when there's nothing left. God, hear me say it again, amen. To persevere this morning means that though I can't see the answer, I will worship him. Though it is painful, I will rejoice. Though he seems silent, I will pursue and press into him. Though I'm being attacked by doubt, I will run to his throne. I will run to his promises and I will say, amen, so be it as you wish, Lord. I pray that that can be your prayer today. So closing this morning, Jesus is calling every single one of us. He's calling you out of your past. He's calling you out of yesterday to lay your life at his feet, at the foot of the cross. Stop running. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to work hard enough. Surrender today. He's calling you to a future purpose and meaning, a future of life on a higher plane that you can't even imagine. Will you trust in his plan for your life? Will you trust him for eternity? He's calling. He's calling you to suffer today, to live your life not bound by the path of least resistance or by your own desires, but to embrace whatever season you're in right now with hope and faith that he is faithful and he is doing a thing in me. And finally, he's calling you to persevere in your faith. Some of you may feel like you're barely hanging on this morning. Maybe you're in a dry desert place in your faith. Maybe the suffering and the, the pressure and the anxiety of this life is just overwhelming. It is. Maybe things aren't playing out like you thought they would. Today, Jesus is reminding you, I have gotten you. I've got you. I've gotten you and I've got you. I'm working things out. I am blessing you. My promises are true, and one day you will see. <clears throat> so today, cling to me. Today, Jesus is calling, and the, the question is, will you respond in faith? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, taking the initiative 
in your relationship with each one of us. Lord, we get, we get so bound by the things of this world and the, the things of this world are so loud and so seem so strong. <clears throat> the pressures and the things that have to be done and our dreams and all those things. And Lord, today you are calling us to let go. Let go of yesterday. Let go of tomorrow because you have it in the palm of your hand. Let go of trying to manipulate this life through our struggles and difficulties, but to embrace you, to embrace Christ. Lord God, you created us to live life in relationship with you. Enjoy, even in the midst of struggle today, God, we, we come and cast our cares on you. Lord, we want to persevere. We join with the the man who came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, this morning we all have those places in our hearts and in our minds and lives that, Lord, at times it's just tough to trust. It's tough to release our grip. This morning, Lord, thank you for the reminder that the transformation that you made in Saul's life is the transformation you want to make in every one of our lives. So Lord, this morning, help us, help us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name.